Welcome to Murder on Sex Island. Written and read by me, Joe Firestone. This is episode 9, where I'll be reading chapters 32 through 34. If you just listened to episode 8, feel free to skip right ahead. But here's a refresher for those who need one. John and Luella really hit it off over milkshakes. She hasn't seen AJ since he came over to her apartment. No one admitted to being with him the night before at the gym, and Luella watched as Stephanie, Nate, and David N. all hid from her. The cast must all report to set, but we don't know what for. Chapter 32. That Thursday, I can say with certainty, was one of the worst days of my life, and I have spent several days in Staten Island divorce court. I arrived at the beach hut to find nine little silk flags pushed into the sand. Waving in the sea breeze, they reminded me of elementary school field days. Their athletic connotation was unnerving. Four of the flags were light pink and five were light blue. I had a feeling we were about to do some kind of horrible gender contest and I was already dreading it. My tailbone alternated between throbbing and stabbing pain. Whenever I slightly tilted my head, I would hear my neck crack four times. Whatever we were about to do, I was not physically equipped. Sheila, take me back, I thought. By the time I got there, Ethan, Nate, and Blair were already lined up a few feet in front of the flags. Shortly after me... David N., Sarah, and Tasha arrived. Phil was the last cast member to get to set. AJ, of course, never showed. Issa blew her whistle and instructed each of us to grab a flag. The women were told to get pink, the men to get blue. One blue flag remained in the sand. My mind flashed to that bathtub, imagining AJ's face where David G.'s had been. I shook my head to get rid of the thought. My neck cracked four times. That kind of thinking was not productive. I had two objectives today, and I needed to stay on track. Figure out who was lying to me, and find AJ before it was too late. What the producers had planned for us that day turned out to be nothing short of a marathon. A marathon on steroids. We were to run around the beach, trying to find as many flags as we could. There was only one rule. Men could only pick up blue flags, and women could only pick up pink ones. Some would be in plain sight. Others would be more inconspicuous. The man and woman holding the most flags at the end of this straight-from-hell challenge would be granted immunity, which meant they'd be able to stay on the show for a couple extra days, even if they had terrible sex. As you know, the cast of Sex Island originally started off with 30 people, 15 men, 15 women. We were 31 episodes into the 40-episode season, which meant that the people who were still here had worked hard for it. If no more wild cards were added, each of the existing cast members had a fairly high chance of winning the grand prize of $100,000. Of course, they split it. A man and a woman were supposed to win together, so each would walk away with $50,000 and about a three-month window to become famous outside of the show. Last season's winners, Jessica D. and Alan, weren't quite so fortunate. I heard Jessica D. had been in and out of rehab. Alan went to jail for tax evasion. Show business sure had a way of chewing people up and spitting them out. 
Isa blew her whistle again, this time for about ten seconds straight. The lung capacity on these youths. I thought maybe I could use this time to sidle up to Nate or Ethan, ask them if they'd heard from AJ. But the second the whistle blew, the cast scattered off in different directions, looking like water bugs when the light turned on. Cameramen were jogging with 70 pounds of equipment trying to keep up. Above us, several drone cameras captured the madness, too. The drones would make sneaking off to the apartment complex more challenging. I found it painful to move with my tailbone the way it was, so I walked slowly. Blair ran past me and assumed my lackluster pace was some sort of strategy. If you think you can come in here as a wild card and actually win this thing, I'll kill you, she said, spittle forming on the sides of her mouth. She looked rabid. Blair ran off, kicking sand in my face as she went. Maybe this show was more cutthroat than I had assumed. I wandered closer to the reeds, hoping it'd be a less confrontational destination. Sand had gotten in my mouth, and I felt the grit between my fake molars. I leaned over to spit, and that's when I saw it. A little pink flag billowed in the wind. I felt a thrill I hadn't felt since my high school field hockey games. I parted the reeds with my hands and tiptoed through, careful to avoid any lingering crabs or whatever the hell else managed to live there. I snatched up the flag and beamed. Count them. Luella had two. I walked with purpose now. Maybe slow and steady did win the race. I felt more alert and awake than I had in months. I visualized the next little pink flag. Where would it be? I'd taken off my heels, but the sand was getting hot. I walked toward the shore where it was cooler. With the sun shining above, the water looked a true cerulean blue. It was a color that made you think no human had ever peed in this part of the ocean. It felt good to walk there. The waves leapt softly at my ankles. The wet sand was pillowy beneath my feet. I knew I should be finding AJ, finding David G.'s killer, that I shouldn't be wandering around a beach doing a stupid field day. Honestly, what was I doing here? And how had I let this undercover job veer so far in the wrong direction? I told myself once I got through this challenge, I'd be back on track and I'd find AJ. But then I saw another one. My third little pink flag. Floating there in the shallow water, I grabbed it, feeling for the first time in a while, a small, bright sense of victory. I had three flags! I was nearly a mile from set now, and I hadn't seen anyone for almost half an hour. The sun was getting hotter. The further I walked from set, the more debris I encountered. Old plastic bottles, broken shells, tampon dispensers, bottle caps. I wanted to make a George Stryker apartment joke, but there was no one to tell it to. And besides, they would have had to have been inside his apartment to get it. I laughed out loud at my own logic. Now I knew I was getting overheated. I needed to get into the shade and drink some water. I didn't know how long I'd been walking when I noticed a little wooded area. It was much cooler in the shade of the palm trees and the sand was much rockier. There was still a dull, pulsing ache in and around my tailbone, but at least I'd gotten out of direct sunlight. I wanted to rest, but wasn't sure how to sit down without causing severe pain. Maybe I could lie face down on the ground for a little while? All the crabs and beach spiders could make me their queen. I was startled out of my daydreaming by a strong push from behind. One hand on my shoulder, one hand on my ribcage. I landed on my stomach and the wind was knocked out of me. For what felt like a full minute, I lay there stunned. Was it possible I tripped? I had just been thinking of lying down like this. Maybe this was what they called manifesting. 
I got up on my hands and knees, then felt a kick to the back of my head. I collapsed again. My face smashed against the rocky terrain. My mouth tasted like blood. I must have passed out from the kick. When I woke up again, the sun was much lower in the sky, and I found myself lying face up. My tongue was dry and my skin felt tight, almost crispy. My vision was blurry, but I could make out a dark beard right above me. A face with dark eyes came into focus. Ethan. My adrenaline kicked in and I tried to scramble away on my elbows. My forehead hit his forehead and he reeled backwards, screaming. I needed to get away from him. I tried rolling over and standing, but my knees were too weak. I toppled to the ground, feeling around for a sharp stick or a rock or anything I could use to protect myself. Stop, Luella, it's me, it's Ethan, I'm not gonna hurt you, he yelled. I'd heard that last line too many times to believe it. I found a medium-sized stone and hurled it in his direction. It hit him in the neck, and he yelped in pain. I curled my fingers around a small broken conch shell. Even if I couldn't get up, I would be ready for him. Please, please stop. Luella, I'm not trying to hurt you, I swear. You were out cold. Just listen to me. I don't want to hurt you, he said slowly, carefully enunciating every word. Ethan's neck was starting to bleed where the rock hit him. He held up both hands and looked at me with pleading eyes. I stared at him. Was it possible he was just here to help me? He extended his hand and I grabbed it hesitantly, wincing as my body registered its injuries. I couldn't properly stand and found myself leaning against his strong frame to steady myself. He was warm to the touch and drenched in sweat. I could smell his natural musk, which was not altogether unpleasant. I looked up at the sun. I must have been out for hours. I didn't want to think about the state of my stupid wig. Come on, let's take you back he said in a gentler voice than I'd ever heard him use. After too many failed attempts, we both concluded that me walking was out of the question. For most of the journey back, he ended up carrying me like a damn baby. Together, we must have looked like the saddest and dirtiest 1950s newlyweds. Eventually, we made it back to the apartment complex. He asked which room I was staying in, and I told him, 4E. He used his key fob to get in, then gently set me down on the couch. He brought me a glass of cold water and dabbed my forehead with a washcloth he'd wrapped around ice cubes. We didn't speak much. In the back of my mind, I knew he would probably see my wigs, but I couldn't summon the energy to hide them. I was disappointed in myself. By that time, I had a strong feeling AJ was already dead. When I think back to that night, the night I saw Ethan's odd nurturing side, one thing stuck out. The entire time he was cleaning my wounds, cooling my forehead with washcloths, bringing a water glass to my lips, he never once looked at me. Chapter 33 The sun had set and I still hadn't moved from the couch. I had been drifting in and out of consciousness, but now I was awake. The light in the kitchenette was on, but nothing else. My face felt swollen, and I could tell my Luella teeth were askew. I ran my tongue over them and tasted dry blood. I thought maybe Ethan had left, 
but after I started to stir, he came out of my bedroom and took a seat on the leg of the couch. Hey, I said. Hey, sleepyhead. It's getting to be dinner time. You want something? I was going to order Thai food. I'm good, I said. I'll get you a soup, he said, already in the midst of calling the restaurant. Hi. Yeah, same address as usual. Can I get a chicken pad thai, a chicken green curry, and a pineapple fried rice? He paused while the person on the other end asked a question. Uh, let's go with chicken and a tom yum soup. Thanks. He hung up and stood, clasping his hands behind his back. Dinner will be served in 45 minutes to an hour, he said, speaking like an old British butler. Was he really joking around with me? This was a side of Ethan I had never seen. Your George Stryker impression? I asked. My words came out muffled. Some part of my teeth was definitely broken. Ethan's face fell. He's not so bad. At the mere idea of someone defending Stryker, I felt my chest tighten in rage. At least the anger was a nice distraction from the pain. He tried to drug me, I said, sounding like I had about 18 cotton balls in my mouth. He let out a small laugh of disbelief. There's no way. George wouldn't do that. He's... He trailed off. Just trust me. I tried to sit up. What's with you two? Ethan's face reddened. Me and George Stryker? Nothing. We're friends. Is he helping you? I asked. I mean, sure. Friends help each other, he said, shrugging. You think you'll win? I asked. I certainly hope so. The show is humiliating. You think I want to do all this bullshit to walk away with nothing? No way. You know how much I'm getting paid to be here? I knew the starting contract was low, but I figured that someone like Ethan, who'd made news headlines and become one of the show's stars, might earn something more. He continued. Three hundred dollars a week. I made more working at a gas station in Podunk freaking Kansas. If I don't win, this whole thing's been a complete waste of time. Then I hope you win, I said. He shrugged. I mean, I think I stand a chance, especially now that David G's gone. I looked at him skeptically. I just meant that he was the front runner, he stammered, and everybody knew it. It sucks that he's gone, though. It's all really sad. With the heat and the attack, I'd temporarily forgotten what I was there to do, and most importantly, that time was of the essence. I began to panic and mustered all my energy to peel myself off the couch. What's wrong? he asked. Last night, were you with AJ? I asked, searching his eyes. No. Ethan looked confused. Hey, where was he today? I didn't see him on set. I tried to stand up, but my body was slow moving. I felt a surge of pain shoot from my tailbone to my neck. Ethan stood in front of me. Now where do you think you're going? He asked, his tone verging on aggressive. I shot him a look, and he backed down quickly. I just meant the food's coming and you're hurt, so I wasn't trying to... How was Mighty Ducks too? I asked. What? He said. Someone knocked then. We both turned toward the door. Must be dinner. I'll get it, he said. Ethan opened the door and a charged silence ensued. I gathered that whoever was at the door was not there to deliver our dinner. What the hell are you doing here? Ethan's tone was angry, but from where I was situated on the couch, I couldn't see who the other person was. Same question, bro, I heard a man's voice say. A familiar voice. Phil. 
Phil strutted past Ethan into the living room, holding a Tupperware of what looked like red jello. He knelt down in front of the couch so we were nearly face to face. Oh, baby, look at you. What happened? Phil asked, gently stroking my wig. Ethan walked up behind him, his arms crossed in front of his chest. She was attacked during the challenge. I found her on the ground. Even with Ethan looming over him, Phil didn't take his eyes off me. That's so scary. Are you okay? Phil kept petting my wig. He tried to subtly brush his hand away. I'll be fine, I said, suddenly aware I probably looked as bad as I felt. Ethan, I can take over if you need a break. Looks like you've been on nurse duty for a while now. Only then did Phil look up at Ethan. Well, we've got food coming soon, Ethan said. There was palpable tension in the room. My eyes darted back and forth between the two men. Ethan glared at Phil, while Phil stared at me. I brought you jello, Phil said. He jiggled the Tupperware and its contents danced malevolently. I have always hated jello. My great aunt Ruthie used to serve it for dessert, like the woman had never heard of cake. Thanks, I said. Maybe later. Phil stood up, patting me on the head. I'll just put it in the fridge for now. He made his way to the kitchenette. Phil appeared to be quite at home here. I was worried. You both left before we wrapped today. You didn't even get to see how the challenge ended, Phil said, scanning my mostly empty fridge. What happened? Ethan asked with a forced nonchalance. I realized then that Ethan might have lost his chance at immunity by helping me. It was crazy. In the last hour, Tasha had like 12 flags and Blair had 10. Then at the last minute, Blair tackled Tasha to the ground and managed to wrestle seven away. Blair got the immunity. Was it possible Blair had attacked me? Would my measly three flags be worth all that? I wondered where those flags were now. Who won the men's immunity? Ethan asked, barely concealing his contempt. Phil bowed his head. You're looking at him. Guys, I just kept finding flags. I felt like I was really in my element today, you know? Felt good. Your boy found 25 flags, if you can believe it. Seems like you're the new frontrunner, Ethan said. New? Bro, I've been the frontrunner, Phil said, making a suck-it gesture with both hands. Yeah, right, Ethan muttered. What'd you say to me? Phil said, pushing Ethan's shoulder. You want to fight, bro? Ethan said, puffing out his chest. This was escalating awfully quickly. Nah, bro, not tonight. I'm feeling too good tonight, but I'll get you when you least expect it, Phil replied, winking at Ethan. Ethan shook his head, then looked at his phone. Well, congrats, man. Damn, it's late. I'm gonna get going. What about the food, I asked. You guys eat it. I'm not hungry, Ethan said. Ten seconds later, Ethan was out the door. It was a bizarre interaction, but Phil didn't seem to register any of it. He made himself comfortable on the couch, scooting my legs over to make room for himself. Can I tell you where I found all the flags? It felt so intuitive out there. First one I found buried mostly in the sand. Just the top of it was visible, but I've always had eagle eyes. For the next hour, Phil talked me through his 25-flag conquest without coming up for air. He was on cloud nine. He talked about where he found them, how he found them, how his stamina was unbeatable, how strong he was. The Thai food arrived sometime in the middle of his monologue. He received the food, smelled it, then actually threw it in the garbage can. Trust me, that stuff is not good for you, babe. How about some jello? 
If I had the energy, I would have thrown him in the garbage can. Phil continued monologuing for another hour. He paced the apartment as he spoke. At one point, I pretended to fall asleep, but he just kept on talking. At one point, I thought I saw him walk in and out of my bedroom, but I was too exhausted to ask why. When he finally got the hint to go, he knelt down until his face was an inch away from mine. Don't forget to eat your jello, babe, he whispered. I could smell the peppermint on his breath. When I first met Phil, I thought he was hot, but not so bright. The more I got to know him, I realized he was also completely obnoxious. That's when I knew he was going to win Sex Island. Chapter 34, Friday. I woke up Friday morning and texted John first thing. Any word from AJ? John said he hadn't heard from him. What kind of show allowed people to go missing and nobody did anything about it? It was either an issue of incompetence or collusion, and I wasn't sure which. I told John to contact the police and AJ's immediate family ASAP. He said he would get on it. After nearly two weeks, I was starting to understand that show business only really responded to a squeaky wheel. I told John somebody attacked me during the challenge and that it could have been whoever went after David G. and possibly A.J. He responded that if I needed to take the day off and focus on self-care, I could do that. Self-care. What a novel idea. Was the attack captured on camera? I asked. John said no. Turned out the cameras mostly followed Blair, Nate, and Sarah for the majority of yesterday's challenge. So Blair might not have been my attacker after all. I thought of Justin, the new guy who'd been staring angrily at Issa and me at the beginning of the day. I wondered if he had something to do with this. I managed to take a shower, look at me and my self-care, and that's when I learned that my shoulders were severely sunburned in the unfortunate shape of my overall straps. Everything hurt. I did a quick inventory of my aches and pains. Head, spine, hips, tailbone, left foot, shoulders, and face. As I was drying off, I found a large green bruise on the back of my leg I didn't remember getting. I glanced in the fogged-up mirror. My face had little cuts all along the left side, and my left cheek was bruised a yellowish-green color. My left eye was nearly swollen shut. All in all, stunning, camera-ready, no notes. The pigtail wig was in bad shape, so I resorted to backup wig number two. This one was significantly itchier than the others, but it looked a whole lot better than backup number three. It hurt my eye to put makeup on, so I opted for sunglasses. I went to put my teeth in and almost screamed. My Luella teeth were missing a tooth, and a front one, no less. My mind raced. How could I fix this and fast? Like I've said, a missing front tooth is like a car accident. No one can look away. It's the reason I started wearing the fake teeth in the first place. Part of why Luella works is that she has none of my visible flaws. She's sexy, she's demure, and she's definitely not missing a damn front tooth. I groaned and smacked my own forehead on repeat until it was numb. Why did this job feel so much harder than every other job I'd ever done? Maybe that wasn't necessarily true, but I remember very little from the Taylor Bell case. That's why I started writing things down this time around. There were days I couldn't believe I'd once been a functioning social worker, with clients and an office and everything. 
In some ways, I think doing that job enabled me to deal with my own shit so haphazardly, like a carpenter who lets her own house be destroyed by termites. Maybe if I'd done something else with my life, I wouldn't be doing this double identity stuff now. Maybe I'd even be well-adjusted or something. Wouldn't that be nice? I was losing it and needed to eat something. My to-do list was growing. Find AJ, find David G's killer, fix my front tooth, find food. I debated eating the food Phil had thrown in the garbage last night, but I figured I should be kinder to my ailing body. I even considered Phil's jello for half a second before the memories of Great Aunt Ruthie's jello molds returned to haunt me. Her recipe called for jello mix, mayonnaise, and peeled grapes. Good God. I made my way down to the group pantry and got myself three bananas, a yogurt parfait, and a to-go cup of coffee the size of my femur. Standing there with the broken Luella teeth in my pocket, I ate the three bananas one right after the other, like a human Donkey Kong. I inhaled the parfait. I drank the coffee in big, burning gulps. Maybe after this gig I'd have enough money to permanently replace my teeth with some nice-looking veneers. Dr. Frank would be down to do it, especially after he saw what I'd done to this pair. I was zoning out and drinking the last sip of my coffee when I realized what could be the miracle solution to my tooth problem. I'd been unknowingly staring at it for the last five minutes. There, in front of me, was a jar of loose, white, chiclet gum. The go-to fake front teeth for generations of children the world over. I took a handful up to my room and tried one on with my Luella teeth. It was soft and painfully minty, and I swore I felt the sugar slowly eroding my real tooth underneath. But it didn't look half bad. I should probably note it also didn't look half good, but it would do the trick, especially if I kept the talking to an absolute minimum. My plan was to search the entire apartment building for AJ while the cast and crew were on set that day. I ransacked my apartment for John's list of where everyone lived. Finally, I found it laying inside my notebook where I'd written the list of suspects. I hadn't remembered putting it there, but I didn't give it much thought at the time. I read the directory again, trying my best to memorize it. David G. had lived in 7A. Ethan had lived in 7E, now 8A. David N. was in 7B. Phil was in 7G, Nate was in 7C, Blair was in 7D, Tasha was in 7H, Sarah was in 4D, George in the penthouse, Stephanie was in 7F, John was in 2A, Isa was in 8D, and I was in 4E. I realized AJ's apartment wasn't listed and that this directory had been made before AJ joined the cast. I called his phone again, but it went straight to voicemail. I figured as much. I swallowed two extra-strength Tylenol and headed out. My first stop would have to be Stephanie's place. Her behavior made me think she had something to hide. This has been chapters 32 through 34 of Murder on Sex Island, read by the author Joe Firestone-Nesme. This podcast is produced by Barry Finkel. This episode was edited by Gabrielle Lewis. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. You can purchase the actual book next week, October 17th. You can pre-order it now. You know what else happens next week? Episode 10 comes out. I'll be reading chapters 35 through 39. Hey, I have a question. Where the hell is AJ? And was Luella pushed? If so, who did it? Till next time.